going to present it to you. He's going to show you in scripture what it says. And then it's up to us to receive it. I have to make a choice to allow his thinking to become my thinking. I must make a choice to allow his understanding to become my understanding. Even though I may not necessarily agree with everything he says or does, I got to say, you know what? God's way is better than the way that I know. You're now in tune to the Heaven Bound broadcast with Pastor Richard D. Dobbs of Overcomers Christian Center in Villarica, Georgia. Now prepare to be empowered and equipped with the rich word of God. The phrase this kind suggests that there is a group of people or things that have similar characteristics. Similar can be defined as resembling lightness or closeness in nature. Things or people that are similar resemble that uh, they are not exactly the same, but they are very similar. We see uh, two identical or things can be, they can look alike, but they may not be the same. They are similar. And at times we may encounter certain types of situations certain type of mindsets, or even certain type of people that have similar characteristics and a similar nature. And when it is a Christ-minded situation, a Christ-minded mindset, or a Christ-minded group of people, we can expect to see the nature or the likeness of Christ. We have been we, we've looked at this and we've been proclaiming Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. We can see, we want to see more of the mindset or the characteristics or the nature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to see his kingship operating in our life. We, we look at him as the ultimate example. He is our Savior. And what kind of mindset does our Lord have? And, and what kind of mindset should we have if we're going to be Christ-minded? Philippians 2 and 5 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So I must allow or permit his mind, his thinking, his understanding, and his opinion be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus. I must give permission for the mind of Christ to be in me. I must be intentional about going after the mind of Christ. And Jesus is not going to force his mindset or his way of thinking or his opinion on us. He's going to present it to you. He's going to show you in scripture what it says. And then it's up to us to receive it. I have to make a choice to allow his thinking to become my thinking. I must make a choice to allow his understanding to become my understanding. Even though I may not necessarily agree with everything he says or does, I got to say, you know what? God's way is better than the way that I know. That's why Jesus brings about a certain kind of mindset that is different than our human nature, carnal desires, even kinfolks or relatives. Philippians, we go on in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, which reads as follows. Who being in the form, notice this, the form or the nature of God, did not consider robbery to be equal or similar or similar with God. In other words, it says here, 
he, he didn't think it robbery. He didn't think it was a robbery to be equal or similar or agree with God. Jesus being in the nature of God did not consider robbery to be in agreement with God or equal with God. It goes on Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no, he didn't abase himself. He's taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness or the resemblance of men. You know, if anything Jesus could have done, he could have made himself of a reputation now. He could have been doing things that, in one sense, could have been almost to the point that it was showing. But Jesus didn't do that. He did things being led by the Holy Spirit. He did it to glorify God, and he did it in a manner that was suitable for the occasion. That's why we find ourselves, uh, when we, if we find ourselves trying to build our reputation more than our relationship with Christ, we could be possibly going in the wrong direction. The mind of Christ is not seeking reputation, but is seeking a relationship with the Father and with other believers or with the body of Christ. The nature and the mindset of a bondservant is a person who gives himself up to do the will of God for those who are being used to advance the kingdom of God. See, the mind of Christ is going to be humble mindset. It's going to be a person that serves the kingdom of God. And the mindset of leaving souls to the Savior is going to be a Christ-minded individual. And when our motives and actions and thinking start leading others away from Christ, that's a different kind. That's a different kind. That's why Philippians 2 and 8 reads as follows. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. He became low. He behaved in an unassuming manner and became obedient. He gave an ear. He was submissive to the point of death. Even the point of death. He said, you know what? This is the time that I've set aside to die, and I'm going to honor that time. He could have lived longer than 33 and a half years, but he chose to live for that length of time. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And according to this particular text, there's two powerful character traits and mindsets that Jesus possessed that if we want to mature and have the mind of Christ, we must have also. One, humble, humility. We got to be humble. We got to bring our opinion, thinking, and way of doing to be in line with his way of thinking and doing things. And two, we need to be obedient, able to give an ear and yield to the written and revealed word of God. So one, we got to be humble. Two, we need to be obedient. And let me say this, that's a choice that we make on a daily basis. You just don't say I'm going to be humble and, that, humble and then all of a sudden it's not going to be a fight the next day. You got to understand this is a lifestyle you choose. It's a lifestyle you choose, and thank God for the life child. lifestyle. Humility is important, and it is powerful. That's why you have scriptures like James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. Bring yourself down. Have a modest opinion of oneself. And one thing about being humble about yourselves, you can't think too low of yourself neither. <laughs> 
And that's sometimes, I used to be in that mindset, boy, if I, I, I got to think of myself as lower than what God thought about me. And that's not what God is calling for. He wants us to humble ourselves and to think about ourselves like God thinks about us. And he says, think about you, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. And, and if God lifts you up, if he raises you up, if he honors you and he prospers you, let me tell you something. Can't nobody push you down when God lift you up. Nobody's strong enough. Nobody's bad enough. Nobody got this thing going on that they will, they can't honor you or excuse me, they can push you down once God lifts you up. We're living in a time, even in church, when humility is somewhat fading and ego and reputation and making a name for myself is, uh, is on the rise. James 14, verse 6 is clear. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way you should think. I'm the way you should feel. I am the pattern you should go out. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see in John 14 and verse 6, he says, the pattern of follow, he is the pattern of Father. He says also three additional things in the particular text. He's truth. That which is true in any matter, under any circumstance or situation. He's life. The absolute fullness of life. Blessed life. Consecrated and devoted life. And he is the interest way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we're taking, talking about this kind, Christ-minded individuals, it looks and feels like this type of individual who makes decisions that are out of humility, out of obedience, and understanding that Jesus is the way. This is the person we want to be Christ-minded individuals. Now, but as but we go back to our main text today, Matthew 17 and 21, this kind does not it's talking about this kind. Now, this kind is not a Christ-minded individual we read about here in Philippians as well as John and so forth. We're, this is not the person that God was talking about. In Matthew 17 and 21, this kind refers to an entity that does not have the nature of Christ, that does not have the nature of Christ. And we want to take a look at this and how Jesus responded to this kind, this kind that, that, that does not or uh, display the mindset of Christ. So in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14, it reads as follows. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, and so when they came to the multitude, when they came to the crowd, a man came to him kneeling, expressing honor and reverence down to him and saying, and so we see, first of all, before we read 17 and verse 14, let's think about where they were at. And, and we find this in Matthew 17 and verse 1. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John and his brother to a high mountain for a transformational experience. So the three of them, they had did what, what some of us would refer to as the, tra the transformation process. And they had seen some miraculous things. And, and now they're coming down off the mountain. When they come down, it was just a, uh, just a few of them. And now they're coming down to the crowd. They're coming down to the crowd. They had seen the crowd and the crowd was there. And 
don't know about you, but if you ever spend time with the Lord, building things to you, open things up to you, and all of a sudden you're coming down to the crowd. They came down to the crowd. The disciples had been spending quality time with Jesus. Now they're headed back towards the people. In other words, Jesus, you know, you can have this lesson with Jesus when you're in the mountains, but then you got to come down and live that lesson with people. You got to live that lesson with people. Boy, any good, you by yourself, boy, you holy, 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 ain't you? But boy, you ain't, you, you ain't mad at nobody, you ain't cuss nobody out, you ain't you thinking evil thoughts and nothing like that. Boy, you with Jesus, right? But now you got to put what you learn in action. Because you got to deal with some real folks with some real problems. You know the people on your job? You know the people you go shopping with? You know your family members? Those are some real folks, all right? And they going to make sure you really got the word on the inside of you. Yeah, y'all know the people we're talking about. Because anybody can be holy when you're by yourself, boy. You ain't got no TV on. You ain't got no, you, just, you in the Bible, boy. You just, Lord, I'm so holy, holy, holy. And so now you got to come down and see everything you learn, put that into action. And, of course, you got to deal with what we call here the multitude, the crowd. Matthew 17 and 14. When they come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down to him and saying, so they came to the crowd. A man came to him. So think about this. You got a crowd of folks, and all of a sudden, this person comes out, and he, he brings, he says, hey, master, or father, or Lord. I'm just thinking about it myself. A lot of people out there, but it's one person, this one man who has a son gets his attention. All right? Now, I'm sure that he's, that person was not the only one in the crowd that had needs, that had problems, that had circumstance. He's not the only one, but this one said, I need, I, I need his attention. I need his attention. And sometimes, boy, I tell you, a problem will get you desperate. You won't go in there last of days and talk about, you know, uh, if I get his attention or not, I'm all right. No, when you really got a problem, hey, you know, sometimes when I be in the store, sometimes I'll be like, okay, uh, these folks ain't really talking about nothing. Let me go ahead and get attention of somebody that can help me with my situation. Because why? I'm a little desperate now. I'm a little desperate. I'm a, I'm a little desperate. This man, my pain was a little bit desperate. He, he's exhausted a number of different things, and he's a little desperate. He came to him. And notice what he says to him in Matthew 17 and 15. Lord, have mercy on my son. Have mercy on my son. Help me with my son. Bring aid and relief to my son. For he is an epileptic and suffers severely. He suffers. He's in a bad place. He's in a bad plight. Why is he in a bad plight? Let me, let me explain to you, Jesus, why it's bad. I'm watching my son fall into the fire and often into the water. I don't know about you. When you see your children in a situation, now I ain't talking about, the, when, I ain't talking about these children, the ones who make decisions and then they come crying to you after they have made the decision. I'm talking about the ones who can't help themselves. The ones who you see, you know that this child in this situation couldn't help himself. He was falling to the fire. And not only that, he would fall into the water. And he couldn't help himself. And I can imagine as a parent how this father was feeling. 
because he saw his child in a state where the child could not help himself. He couldn't help himself. He was, notice this, he will fall, he'll be so overcome with grief, attacked from a demon spirit, he will fall into the fire. And the Bible says, often into the water. This, this child was going through a horrible situation. The Bible doesn't say how old the child was, but we do know this. It was the father who came and got Jesus' attention. Because think about this now. Jesus did, was come to the crowd. Number of different needs in that crowd. Because I ain't found one crowd yet that don't have needs. Y'all think about that. I'm telling you, you go to work, folks got needs. You go, you go to your family reunion, folks got needs. You go shopping, people got needs. Everybody got needs. But this particular father said, I got to get, I got to get the attention of Jesus. And now I'm he's explaining to Jesus why he wants him to have mercy, why he wants him to help. Because my son is severely, he's severely afflicted. He's falling into the fire and often into the water. He approached, the man approached Jesus, and I can imagine he was probably in a broken place or a place of desperation. He's asking for mercy and compassion on his son. And as parents, we know how to cry out on behalf of our children when we see them doing things that they can't help themselves with. He wanted assistance. He wanted aid. He wanted relief. He wanted mercy. He wanted mercy. He wanted mercy for his son. And I can only imagine the parent's heart in this situation. I think about me if that was my child and I see my child. And I've, I've, sometimes you think about this. Think about a parent who sees their child lying in a hospital bed. And you think that parent wants to see their child get help. You want to see that child get help. This father wants to see his son get help. He wants to see his son get help. And no better place than to go for help than the one who has mercy. The Lord himself. Let's go to Psalms 136. Psalms 136. Now, the whole Psalm 136 is a psalm full of mercy. But I don't want to just look at one scripture example in Psalms 136 and verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great a large or an important number of wonders. His wonders are extraordinary. That which is difficult to understand or comprehend. See, God does some great things on the lives of God's people. He does great things. And, and, and let me say this. He does so many great things that sometimes our mind can't comprehend the greatness of what God does. 
Do you know that every day that he loads us daily with benefits and you wonder how he does it? He knows how to make sure every need is met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He knows how to make sure the yokes are destroyed and the burdens are removed in your life. He knows how to heal your body even before a symptom show up in your body. He knows how to cause a check to come in the mail even before you know you needed a check. You you got the need on Monday, here Tuesday, here come a check in the mail. All of a sudden, you got this quote-unquote unexpected refund. God knows you needed that refund before you even need it because he does amazing things. He's a God of the amazing. And and the latter part of that text says, in fact, you will find this in Psalms 136. Uh, Each one of those verses, it ends in this particular statement. For his mercy endures forever. That means it don't end, y'all. You know what that means? That means even today, his mercy is still working. I'm talking about today is working. You know what tomorrow means? His mercy is still going to be working. You know what's going to happen next week? His mercy is still going to be working. You know what's going to happen next year? His mercy is still going to be working. Why? Because his mercy endures. You know, forever means it don't never stop. That means he the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That means right now I'm operating in God's mercy. That means yesterday I was operating in his mercy. And that means tomorrow his mercy, and watch this, will still be as strong as it was when David wrote it. Thousands of years ago, but his mercy is still as as powerful as when David wrote it back here in Psalms 136. And it's still operating in 2023. His mercy is enduring forever. And you know one thing about his mercy? It has not lost one ounce of power. Mm-mm. He has not lost one ounce of power. You know, people can give up on God's mercy, but his mercy is still as powerful as it ever was. And his mercy is his goodness. His kindness, his faithfulness, it keeps on going forever. It's continually existing. It's everlasting. It never stops. David understood the importance of his mercy and his deeds are extraordinary, not easily comprehended, but we know it's his mercy. Boy, I tell you, you ride down the road, boy, whew, thank you for your mercy, God. I can't explain it, but I appreciate the fact that his mercy is operating in my life. Now, let's go back to Matthew 17. The man had understanding that he needed the goodness and the mercy of God, the kindness of God to manifest and to help his son. See, this is what you need to know about God, that God has ultimate mercy. And he can, he, he can show and do mercy for whoever he wants to whenever he wants to do it. Because his mercy, he has control of his mercy. Woo. Now, understand this though. He was dealing with a demonic spirit. He was dealing with a demonic spirit. So in Matthew 17 and 16, he says, listen, I've tried some stuff, Jesus. You know what I did? I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Oh, okay. Okay. Now you're putting the disciples on blast. I brought him to your disciples. Mm-hmm. I bought him over there to Pastor Dobbs. I bought him over there to the senior ministers. I bought him over there, but they couldn't care. I bought him to minister so-and-so. I bought him over there to you. I presented them 
to your, notice how he puts it, your disciples. I want to make sure, I want to know who you're talking about now. I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about your disciples. Your disciples. The ones that you're, who's learning from you. The ones who are your people. I bought them to you. But they could not cure or heal or restore my son to health. My prayer is when people come to me as a minister, we can connect them to the ultimate relief, which is Jesus. I want to be connected to Jesus. I want them to be connected to Jesus. But notice Jesus' response in Matthew 17 and 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. I imagine, I imagine he, he had brought them, this is my mind, he brought them to doctors, he brought them to disciples, he had brought them to priests, he had brought them to a lot of different folks, but now he finna get some help now. Why? Because he's bringing him to Jesus. And let me say this to you, when you bring somebody to Jesus, Jesus can help them. I don't know what kind of problem they got. I don't know what kind of situation they got. I don't know what kind of disease. I don't know what kind of thing they got going on in their mind. But I do know this. Jesus is a present help in the time of trouble. He can help you. and He he can bring relief. He can bring relief. But let's deal with what Jesus said. Before he healed them, though, he had to say, oh, you brought them to my disciples. And then he says this, oh, faithless, faithless. One definition I thought about when it comes to faithless is this. They did not trust what God had taught them. Think about that for a moment. They're his learners. They're his pupils. They have been following Jesus. They have been learning from Jesus. And now Jesus says, you're faithless. I said, well, what do you mean by that, God? One thing I learned from this text is when God teaches you something, he expects for you to put it in action. He had been teaching these disciples, and now he says you're faithful. So you got in this situation, you've been following my teaching, you've been following what I told you to do, but when I, you prayed for this boy, you didn't believe you could heal him. Or God could use you, or I could heal that person through you. I love that. That means that he expected for the disciples to be used by him to heal the boy. And I said, God, that means when I pray for people, it's you that heals the individuals I pray for. It's you that brings the deliverance. It's you that brings them out. It's you that heals their body and their mind. It's you that heals this particular person. Thank God he's a healer, y'all. And that's for, we've been following Jesus for a while. We're Christ-minded. We are Christ-minded individuals. And when you're Christ-minded, you should be able to follow the teachings of Jesus and do what he says. You should be able to follow. And see, this is why he wasn't a novice when he came. They were not a novice when they came to They had been following Jesus. They were learners of Jesus. They had been in the lesson with Jesus. They had been listened to his teaching. But yet, when it came to praying for the boy, they, they, had, you know, they had to admit, you know what? I really didn't believe what he taught me. 
When, listen, let me say this to you. And I've been guilty of this myself. They were, if, if they had to lay hands on them, they were laying hands, but they were laying hands. They say, this ain't going to work. So y'all missed that. Sometimes you start praying for people, and some people, they might be praying and saying the right words, but in their mind, they're saying, this ain't going to work. I don't want to be a church that we pray for folks and we don't believe that the word is going to work. I want us to be a church that when we pray that God going to deliver somebody, they're going to be delivered. Watch this. Even if it's not in front of us, we still believe that his word is still working. I want to be a church that if we pray for somebody to get healed, even if I'm not at the hospital, I believe God's power can go into the hospital and still heal their body. I believe that God is a healer. I believe he's delivered, but I don't always have to see him deliver in order for me to believe it. Oh, I want to be like that person that Jesus talked about. Oh, you got to see it in order to believe it. Blessed are those who don't see it and yet believe that it happens. I believe we got to be a church that believe that what God says is going to come to pass in our lives. The second thing he says, you're perverse. Turning from God and from the right path. You're plotting against the saving purpose and plans of God. You're on the right path. For he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We read that earlier. And now you're turning from that path. You're tur- I told you what path to go on. But now you want to try your own path. Your own way of doing things. Jesus says, I am the way. There's not a substitute. There's not an alternative. He is the way that we go to. Then he goes on to say in the latter part of that verse, he says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Let me say this to you. God has not lost one ounce of power, even though some people will try to turn away from him. He has not lost one ounce of power. You know, we we talked about, I mentioned earlier that sometimes the people get in a situation where they don't believe in the power of God like they used to, like prayers don't work, like church don't work, like the things of God don't work. This ain't the first time God has dealt with a situation like that. Ain't the first time. But you know what? Every time, guess who's still standing? He's still Lord of Lords. He's still King of Kings. He's still the one that we look to. His word shall not return back to him void, but it's going to accomplish everything he sent it out to do. Let me tell you something. God's word will work whether you believe it or not. Because God has not lost any power. He's still going to be sitting up high and looking low. He's still going to be the king. He's still going to be the Lord. He's still going to be the one that can do all things save fail. He's still going to be the one. There's always going to be a time where people will go through a phase where they don't believe God. But you know what? God still sits on the throne. He has not lost one ounce of power. He has not lost nothing. He is still who he said he was. He is, I should say. He's still who he says he is. Now, let's go on to verse 18. So they brought him to Jesus. Remember that? In 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon. Notice, when Jesus rebuked him, it came out of the boy. First of all, you notice that Jesus understood what the problem was. 
Jesus understands every problem in your life. And this is what you need to also understand. He understands the source of your problem. You might have thought a number of different things, but Jesus knew it was a demon. And we need to understand that Jesus understands the source of your problems. Therefore, when he tells you to do something, it's the reason he's telling you to do certain things. He understands the source of your problem, and he also understands and knows the remedy to your problems. He understands it. Because Jesus rebuked the demon. He rebuked him. When he rebuked him, he gave it a severe and sharp disapproval. And one definition I thought about, and I never thought about from this standpoint, he exposed the demon. He exposed the demon. Because demons like to do their work in darkness. They like to do the work in darkness. They like to do the work in darkness. And the Bible says in verse 7, 7, Matthew 17 and 18, and it came out of him and the child was cured or healed or returned, restored to health from that very hour. You can't negotiate with a demon, y'all. You can't. You cannot negotiate with a demon. And those demons, you got to watch them because the demons that probably tried to deal with you going to try to deal with your children as well. Mm, thank y'all for the 4 8 man. There's some stuff I see. I said, oh, that's that demon trying to go. That same demon that had me wrapped around, tied up and tangled up is trying to go after my children. And you have to start rebuking and casting the thing out. That's it. Oh, y'all probably had that problem. But let me say, they will come after you. Demons of fornication, adultery, deceit, trickery, rebellion, anger, division, envy, jealousy, bitterness, poverty, self-promotion, pride, manipulation, and so forth. They'll try to deal with your family. Jesus knew that boy was going to be okay after the demon had to go. But you got to watch out for that, um, that demon spirit that tries to operate in darkness. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. The book of John, chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Woo! That's a heavy scripture, but let me go again. And this is the condemnation. Judgment happens. That light has come into the world. And men, notice this, love darkness. They don't like it. They love it. You got to be careful about it. If you start loving darkness too much. Darkness is ignorance of divine things. In other words, you don't want divine things in that situation. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds, that which one undertakes to do, were evil. They were wicked. They were wicked. In verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. Ooh, they want to do stuff in darkness, y'all. Ooh, they, they, they don't, I ain't talking about light like we see here. I'm talking about light of the gospel. Light of the gospel. They hate the light and does not, they, they don't come to the light neither. They see light. I can't go to that light over there. Because why? Y'all see what I'm doing over here. I want to be in the dark. I want to be in the dark, hiding in the corner, doing my thing over here. I want to be in the dark. 
and doing what I consider evil or wicked. Verse 20, for everyone practicing or performing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deed should be, that's that word again, exposed. Exposed. You want to you call some people out? Bring that light on. Bring that light on. It's hard to operate when you got light going on around you. I know as a, as a, perform, as a former professional dark dweller. Some of y'all get that a little bit later. I did not like when the light came on. I want to keep my stuff hid. I want to keep, when I, well, back, back in, I, I, let, me, let, me just, let me just tell on myself real briefly, and I'm going to go on, y'all. Back in my day when I had a girl in this city, a girl in that city, a girl in that city, a girl in that city, I don't want nobody to know because I want to keep my stuff in the dark. Dark. Oh, no, you can't ride the car with me because <laughs> I had to keep it in what? Darkness. No, you can't call me a certain time because I got to keep my stuff in. Why you answer your phone? Keep my stuff in. Some of y'all keep praying. I know. I got some of y'all. Y'all I ain't the only one. You used to be professional dark dwellers, but... <laughs> But 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light. Comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen. Notice, clearly seen. Hey, show me what you're doing. If ain't, you ain't hiding nothing, show me what you're doing. You know, when you trail the room, they be trying to hide something. They, they hear you coming. Y'all ain't, ain't got children like that. Look, y'all ain't had no children. Trying to hide stuff. You, they told me not to bring no cookies in my room, but you, they, they, you hide the cookies in the room right in there. Hide the cookies. I told me not to eat in the room, but here you got food in the room. And that, they see that plate over there they're trying to hide because you, you don't hide it real good. You know, you got the plate over there in the room that you're eating. Mm-hmm. Or got a trail of crumb going from your room to, to I ain't got no food in here. <laughs> But they've been clearly seen that they, that they, excuse me, that they have been done or performed in God. Performing God. Light exposes, brings exposure to darkness. It brings the exposure to darkness. Let's go Matthew 17, 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast out or drive out or send out the demon?" So notice this. Everything went good. The son got healed. The father happy. They ain't going about their business. I can't imagine that father was happy, boy. Now, the disciples got called out. Remember? Hey, they got called to the carpet. And they'll say, okay, all right. And, but they didn't say anything. What can you say <laughs> when Jesus called you out? Let me say this to you. I used to look at situations like this when I read scripture and thought, oh, God, the disciples in trouble. But no, this is a learning experience. Because remember, the disciples are still learners. They are still pupils. And I'm looking at this, what can I learn from this? Because I'm still a learner and I'm still a pupil. I'm still learning from Jesus. And so, but the disciples go to Jesus privately and say, Lord, 
why couldn't we cast them out? You ever went to the Lord and said, Lord, why can't I get a prayer answered here? Why can't I get my breakthrough, God? Why can't, listen, everybody else get healed. I'm laying hands on folks and everybody else getting healed. Why is my family member dealing with this? Listen, I've been giving, God. Why am I dealing with this financial trouble? And I've been giving even more than I ever gave in my life. I need to know, God, why is this not working the way I thought it should? Then goes on in verse 20. Jesus still loving. Now notice, don't look at this as a negative thing. But look at this as a Christ that loves his disciples. Now, it may come across a little rough, but he loves his disciples. He loves his people because he knows, before I read this verse 20, let me know that, let me say this to you. He knows they're going to deal with this again. Or very, it may not be the same, but it's going to be a similar situation. They will have to deal with this again. So this time, when you deal with it again, I want you to be ready. I, I, I'm going to show you what you're doing wrong. I need to show you how to improve, but I want you to be ready the next time you deal with it. He said, this is what you're dealing with. Number one, you got unbelief. Verse 20, because of your unbelief in this situation. Faithless, weak, and trusting Jesus Again, what we talked about earlier, that he could, you, you've been following the teaching, but you're not believing the teaching like you should. You're not growing and maturing in the teaching like you should. Yeah, you got part of it down, but when it can't, this father brought this son to y'all, y'all could not heal him. Even though I know I gave you power to do it. And so this, for surely I say to you, if you have, notice this, faith. Trust and confidence in Jesus. Belief in the written and revealed word as a mustard seed. Mustard seed is interesting because a mustard seed starts out in a small quantity, but it grows into a remarkable size. What was he saying there? One thing you will find about your faith is this. It, should, it may start out small, but it's as you continue to follow Jesus, it should continue to grow and mature and be bigger and larger than it was. So I should start in one place, but I should grow into a higher place, into a deeper place. I should know more. Listen, I should trust more. I should trust Jesus more than I did five years ago. I should have more confidence in Jesus than I did three years ago. Two years ago, I might have been struggling, but I should, hey, I should be in a place now. I should, hey, why am I, why am I doubting God about a $22 light bill? You know, I, I use light bill as an example, but light bill should be the least of our concern. At least, we should look at that and say, God, you know what? You have provided for however many years he's been provided, you're going to keep providing. I see it now. It's just a thing. I pay it. Keep moving. I shouldn't be talking about, oh, God, what are we going to do now, y'all? Ooh, I shouldn't look at a bill like that. Oh, are we going to start panicking, start fretting, start worrying, start saying, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I should be mature past that point. Now, some people are at the point now, they're just getting saved. They're just following or starting to follow Jesus, learn his teachings, his concept, learn how to give his tithes and offer. Well, they may start out like that, but you shouldn't stay like that. 
You should mature. You should grow up. You should come into the knowledge of the truth. Mustard seed. Mustard seed starts out small and it grows into a remarkable size. And the, how's it grow? Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You got to continue to hear, y'all. You got to continue to hear. You can't just hear one time and expect to have remarkable faith. It's a process you go through. It's a process you go through. So Jesus gave him two reasons because, oh, excuse me, let me finish this statement. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing, notice what he says, nothing will be impossible to, for you. But what happens though? That mustard seed gets large. It's grown. Your faith has gotten large. It's grown. You keep hearing the word on a day-by-day basis, and you're not even fretting about little stuff. You're saying, hey, hey this, is, this is small stuff to God. Why am I fretting over this? I should be at a point now. I've been saved for years now. Why am I fretting over this? I've been studying scripture for years now. I've been with God for years. I ain't talking about, I have, listen, I have a relationship with Jesus that, that says I'm stronger and better than what I used to be. So notice, he said, it's two things he brings up. Because of your unbelief and because of your lack of faith for this situation. Hey, when you're dealing with the power of God, you got to know where your strength comes from. Romans 10 to 17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, I like to say it like this. Faith comes by hearing and 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 hearing. You just keep on hearing. When you stop hearing, when Jesus comes back or you go see him, whichever the case, you got to constantly hear the word of God. You got to constantly hear the word of God. And Matthew 17, 21, we'll close with this one. He goes on to tell him. However, this kind, this kind. See, the next time, disciples, you deal, I want you to learn something. I want you to grow. I want you, when another father brings his son to you or another parent brings their child to you, I want you to be able to deal with it. I want you to be able to deal with it. Deal with it. I want you to be in a position that whatever comes up in your life, whether it's your, from something that is difficult for you to deal with, I need for you to be able to say this kind, this kind, this kind. Jealousy. You got anger problems. A situation rises, you're like, you think, what am I going to do? This guy. This guy. Family issues. This guy. Job or career or business issues. This guy. This guy. Does not go except by prayer. 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 Asking God to get involved. Asking God to get involved. You can deal with stuff. 
The, but the best way to deal with it is to ask God to get involved. Ask God to get involved. And fasting, to abstain from food, to be replaced with prayer and scripture meditation. These are powerful by themselves. They're more powerful when you put them together. Y'all see that? Jesus wouldn't tell us to put them together unless they would be beneficial to what we got to deal with. What's to deal with? This kind. What is it this kind in your life? It could be a number of different things. But we know this. It's going to go if we do it the right way. It's going to go if we do it the right way. Prayer and fasting takes our humility and obedience to another level. It helps us to see the weaknesses and frailty in our human flesh or our human effort. Prayer, excuse me, fasting, let me say this. Fasting, when you first start, it's like you can fast for hours and hours. And all of a sudden, you'll hit a point where it's like, whoo, it just takes you through different changes. Sometimes you feel like you can fast for hours and hours, and then an hour later, you're like, I can't fast another minute. <laughs> Prayer and fasting. Prayer will get me, it gets God involved. I want God to move. Flesh says, get this human effort out of the way and let me rely on God in this situation. I need God in this situation. I need God to bring healing. I need God to bring deliverance. I need God to give me the answers. I need God to do this for me in this situation. In my opinion, it helps us discern the kind of situation that we are dealing with. Remember, Jesus knew exactly what he was dealing with. When he came and dealt with that, the father and his son, he re exposed or rebuked the demon. Jesus knew exactly what he was dealing with. Prayer and fasting will help us to know what we're dealing with. It could be a demon or it could be something else that's going on. But prayer and fasting will show you what you're dealing with. Prayer and fasting will take the covers off and expose the enemy that you're dealing with. Thank God for prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. We have to ask ourselves, do we have any of this kind in our lives, on our jobs, in our finances, impacting our children that requires more of us to get to a place of deliverance, protection, and prosperity? Fasting will get me to a place. Fasting will get me to a place, not that God needs to move, but I need to move to be in the place where God wants me to be. I've heard people say that fasting moves God. I believe fasting moves us to where we need to be. God don't need to move. He knows what he's doing. That's just my opinion about it. I know you put different philosophies out there. But I stick with what the Bible says. Like, for example, if God wants me behind this pulpit, then fasting, prayer and fasting, I may be moving everywhere, but fasting moves me to where I need to be at the place what God wants me to be. God don't need to move. I need to move. 
And when I move where God needs me to be at, then I can see God moving in this circumstance, in this situation. And that's what I want. I want God to move. I, I may not like it, but I want God to move. He may say, hey, you need to let this go, but I want God to move. He said, hey, I know you want this, but I want God to move in this situation. I want God to move. Let me tell you, when God moves sometimes, he may tell you, hey, you got to let some stuff go. But your mind can handle it a whole lot better because you know, hey, he told me to let it go. It wasn't nobody's opinion. He told me to let this go. He told me to do this. He told me to do that. He told me. He told me. Even if, listen, let me say this to you. Even if I'm not 100% sure he told me, just the fact that I believe he told me will take you a whole lot of places. It'll take you a whole lot of places. Because sometimes, just to, you, listen, he says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct your path. When you are asking God to direct your path, even if you miss it, he's big enough to get you back on track. Because you're human. You're, you got fleshly desires. You got stuff going on in your life. And sometimes just the fact that you acknowledge him will help him to direct your path. Fasting and prayer are powerful tools, devices, and weaponry that we can use to cast the this kind that is trying to operate in us, our family, our finances, and even our faith. God can move the this kind out of our lives. Thank God for fasting and prayer. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's message. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your prayer requests and testimonies to our website at OCCVR.org. That's OCCVR.org. We would like to invite you to partner with us as we share the gospel all around the world. Just go to our website at OCCVR.org. Click on the Give button to give online, or you can utilize text to give text GIVE to the number 770-692-2225. That's 770-692-2225. Join us on our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast, and connect with us on social media. We also invite you to join us in a live service. We're located at 3097 South Van Wert Road in Villarica, Georgia. Visit our website for more details at OCCVR.org. Until next time, remember, without a vision, the people perish. See you next time for more Heaven Bound with Pastor Richard D. Dobbs of Overcomers Christian Center in Villarica, Georgia.